Woohoo! Welcome to the Summer Work All Play Podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. It's Tuesday. Six of Tuesday. Freaking Tuesday. And we are extra pumped on this magical Tuesday because we got to sit down and interview Claire Gallagher. I think I've been waiting for this moment for six years. We've been longtime friends with Claire. She's probably our favorite person to invite to dinner because we'll yeah. just have these long three-hour conversations with her. And we got to make one of those these conversations a podcast episode, and it was a joy. It was so much fun. Um, we were recording this after uh, we did the pod episode with Claire. There's everything from Claire talking about some deep philosophical things to specific things about running to manatee farts. This episode has it all. It truly had it all. I've, I just wanted to keep recording. She is probably 36 hours post-finishing Leadville where she oh my had crushed the race. Yeah. And I was like, Claire, how are you being so coherent and wonderful right now? I would be fully just in a soup of just like fatigue and gnarliness and not yeah. feeling good. And she was just typical Claire being Claire. And it was fun. It's wild to think about what is going through her physiology right now. So as she's talking to us on this podcast, um, if we were looking at her biomarkers, her creatine kinase would probably be at a level that would require hospitalization if she went into the emergency room. Um, every single one of those markers is off. And somehow Claire stepped up, talked to us for 75 minutes. And right now I feel like I've taken 1000 shots of coffee and I'm ready to go crush the world. So we hope you feel the same way too. That's usually how we feel when we after we interact with Claire. We said this in the po in the podcast interview, but after we have dinner with Claire, I need a like a time to like meditate and come down because I am so amped and energized that I won't be able to sleep at night if yeah. I don't take that time to decompress. She's just a life force, an incredible human. She's been a mentor for me. Her so let's go into some of her accolades because she is one of the most storied ultra runners at this point. I call her a goat in the interview. I think she's truly a goat in ultra running. So Claire has won now Leadville twice. She's won Western States, CCC, Black Canyon 100, way too cool. Um, she's been second in a historically fast time at the North Face 50. She, her range in ultra running is impressive. Her consistency, she is just the real ultra running deal. She's done this all at just 30 years old. And not only that, she's a brilliant person. So if you don't know the background of Claire, um, we talk about some of it, um, obliquely in this, but we don't go through her entire history. So she went to Princeton University where she ran on the track team. Um, after that, she did uh, coral reef studies um, and she spent a lot of time in Thailand where she determined where her future would go. And then at age 24, she had her breakout race at the Leadville 100 miler where she ran the second fastest time ever. And so now six years later, we're flashing forward. Claire's been a top professional runner for this time, an environmental advocate that's put herself out there and gotten vulnerable um, in really amazing ways, even against um, a ton of opposition in some instances. And now she's going back to school for her PhD. And just as she does that, she wins Leadville 100 again. So this is that ultimate full circle moment. And we hope that you enjoy this talk with one of our best friends and ultimate idols in this sport and honestly in the entire universe. Let's dive into it. Claire Gallagher. We are so pumped. Are we supposed to do woohoo in unison, you guys? Yeah, let's do it. Let's count. Let's let's do a countdown. We'll do three, two, one, woohoo. Okay, you do it. Okay. You always do it. I'm just Megan, Okay, I'll do it. I'm too nervous right now. I have performance anxiety to interview Claire. Big time players make big time plays. All right. Three, two, one. Woohoo! Woo <laughs> Welcome to the Summer Call Play Podcast, Claire. Um, how are you feeling? So first. Uh, congrats on Leadville. We have just done some texting and audio messaging. Um, I can't imagine how sore your legs are right now. Historic performance there. And we are so freaking proud of you. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, it's quite the honor to be on the uh, 
illustrious swap podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, oh, both of you. I mean, we were just kind of talking about it. It it was one of those days. It wasn't exactly um, the the easiest hundred. Not that any hundreds easy, but uh, the amount of times that I and people on the trail were saying, you know, David and Megan are so proud of you. Uh, keep it up. Like <laughs> David's, David's talking to me. You know, it was like people I didn't even know. I was like, I don't know who you are, but thanks. <laughs> um, it was it was one of those like true community days. Like not to uh, use community in a cliche sense, but. Oh, yeah, it really was a, a group effort. Well, I love this. Yeah, I mean, I love what you're saying about community so much because you are the ultimate example. We hear from so many people that they have met you in random interactions and they will say the kindest shit you have ever heard. But to jump ahead just a second, we're going to we're going to take a step back and then get back into Leadville eventually. Yeah. But I first want to jump into the middle of Leadville. I heard from Lindsay Herman, the eventual third place female finisher, that in the middle of this race, while you're making your power move, still in second place at the time for you, um, you gave her a pep talk and she said it was instrumental in saving her race in her first 100. What better example of community? So what did, do you even remember what you said to her? Oh my gosh, Lindsay, that is very generous of her because it, it was a very fast pep talk, <laughs> but I think that kind of shows that even saying a couple words or in this case is yeah a couple sentences so essentially i was coming out of winfield uh she was going down i don't know how far apart we were but um yeah i mean it just just telling it like it was like it looked like she had it been in the middle of maybe a cry uh <laughs> and i'm like man i've been there you know i'm like oh shit, this girl is feeling it and she's got like 50 plus miles to run and and the um, eventual second place woman, Allie uh, from Estes Park, was just ahead of her. So I was like, ah, oh, maybe she's, you know, getting in her mind about the placement right now of the race. And if you're mm -hmm. thinking about place in a hundred miler, it's it's just really, it's really emotional to be like, what place am I in? You know, so anyways, I was like, I, I can't even really remember what I said. I think I said, Lindsay, you got this, like... <laughs> go refuel like I just told her to go refuel because that's the like the practical thing that she was about to have to do and she was like thank you so much and we hugged and it was also <laughs> it was pissing rain like um or misting I should say is a better <laughs> word uh, pissing is it, perfect for the swap podcast yeah that's yeah is our weather <laughs> forecast for Leadville yeah, it was. And meanwhile, Marvin Sandoval, who's finished Leadville 10 times, he was right ahead of me. And he's like, he had just said, Claire, I've run Leadville 10 times. And this is the only time it's rained. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, I'm, just thinking, I'm like, poor Lindsay, like, this is so much. So yeah, it was just this beautiful hug. I mean, seeing her honestly motivated me because I know. Yeah, yeah. She's coached by you, David. And yeah. That was it. <laughs> you do that for everybody, though. I was going to ask, actually, you do do that for everyone. And we were seeing videos roll through. We were getting texts from so many people during the day of just you fist bumping people and hugging people and just your overall life force that we get to witness quite often here in Boulder. I mean, whenever we see you, you're just a life force to reckon with. How is it? Do you ever have to think about conserving your life force out there on the trail when you're racing? Or is that does that like feed into your overall race performance? I've always wondered that. It's like, how do you sustain that life force? And how does that work in the racing environment? Oh, that's, that's a fascinating question. Well, one, that's very nice. Thank you. But uh, 
Yeah, it's funny you mention it because I think a lot about the amount I'm chatting in ultras mm. because in the past I haven't thought about that. And I've noticed that I do think if you're engaging in um, like somewhat medium depth conversations in an ultra like that aren't pertinent to the race, that that does take away some energy. And as like um, a very chatty person <laughs> on the trail, I've, I've purposely like kind of brought it back a little bit and and which I think is different than smiling and woohooing and fist bumping. I actually think those are two like sort of different depths of engagements. Like it's really easy for me to smile and to woohoo. And I know that like you two have looked into the research, whether it's psychosomatic or legit about uh, that positivity mindset. And so that I'm like fully down to, to, um, sort of empty my system out. Cause I, I kind of think it's endless. I mean, look at, look at David. <laughs> if it's not tired from being positive, like oh, Claire, he's Claire, <laughs> I, am, I am so tired. No, I'm so tired. It's like this all day long. At first, I, when we started dating, I was like, "This, this has to be something that you turn off. Like you just bring to the date <laughs> and you turn off outside of it." And you're like this all freaking day. Megan, long, so. I've been doing a long con on you. I'm 12 years in. <laughs> it's about the 13 year switch that I got going. But the I actually maybe you actually will be ultimate test. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I mean, that'll be the real test. The, the life force question, I absolutely love. And I kind of want to zoom out before we get back to Leadville and think about that on a broader end, because we met you in 2016. And um, I always remember that meeting because we just met you at the finish line of a race um, be right before your first Leadville. Actually, caveat, I met Claire during the race. Okay. And I was like, oh, fuck, who is this human? Because she was like running so fast and was doing the usual Claire life force stuff yeah. where I was right, in this like, right. intense let's, zone in the middle of the race. Let's set the record straight. Sorry to interrupt, Megan, but I rock up to this race. I'm 24. I think you're what? You're one year older than me. I was probably, yeah, probably 25 or 26. 25 at the time. I'm with Amanda Basham and I think Jenna Ellis and Amanda goes, oh shit, Megan <laughs> Roach is here. And I was like, who's Megan Roach? And she's like, oh, Claire, she's the fastest girl in this country. Like, I swear <laughs> she's so fast. And I was like, oh, damn. All right. And then we get in the race and I was like, oh, damn, this girl <laughs> is fast. And I'm like working my butt off. It was the USA Trail Champs 30K in Colorado Springs 2016. <laughs> And Megan takes a wrong turn, which to this day, Megan, I, well, that's okay. We'll, we'll let it that was pass. the world's <laughs> dumbest long turn. I'm pretty sure that's what you're about to say. It was, I look back on that. Actually, I some, still sometimes have nightmares about that. I'm like, what was I thinking? You, you jumped off of a main road and hopped onto a side trail. <laughs> it was marked. It was truly marked for another race, but it was, it was like an out and back at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. It's, yeah. To set the record straight. It's like, even if you're the smartest human on this planet, AKA Megan Roach, you will make <laughs> eventually a really dumb wrong turn in a race at one point. <laughs> yeah. We're like sprinting downhill to the finish and Megan just takes a sharp left off the road. <laughs> but she still managed, you still managed to beat my ass. You beat me, I don't know, totally solidly, wrong turn and all. And I was like, damn, this is really cool. And then, you know, Dave, I think David did you probably run the won the men's race. No, um, no, I was just there spectating. So I actually got to okay. see it and I got to see oh, it on yeah, and you had no idea who I was and you're doing the same thing of just being so kind to me on course. But then like what jumped out to me is after the race, you were, you know, the Claire Gallagher that everyone that follows the sport, like loves so much. And like what jumps out 
what I wanted to ask is, okay, this life force during running, I can understand that a little bit more, but the life force outside of running, is that a decision that you consciously made at some point in your life that you're like, okay, I'm going to be this person for others and for communities, whether that's running or, you know, academia or something else, or is that just kind of natural to you? Is that something you were born with and have been like since you were a child? I don't think I've ever been asked that before. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not making a conscious decision, to be honest. Um, I mm -hmm. think I wake up most days and am who I am. <laughs> I I know that I bring, like, I'm aware that I bring energy to most group situations, and I enjoy doing that. And I think it's one of the greatest parts of being alive is, like, to be able to inter in inject um energy into into situations into environments or um but yeah i mean i've i'm a product of my environment like i'm a product of my family i'm a product of my parents like my dad can talk to anyone he can talk to a brick wall like the most boring situation of, of all time and make it interesting and i think i grew up just like uh you know absorbing that and i guess that's yeah, here we are. <laughs> yeah, a dad that can talk to a brick wall solves a lot of problems in the world. It really does. I actually, though, I would love to get to know Claire as a young child. Oh. Like to see this, like the fierce, loving energy come out into the world as a young kid, I imagine it's incredible. Actually, we, when we were thinking about baby names, Claire was at the top of the list because you're like our life mentor. We want you to be our godparent. Like we just think the world of you. But actually, Claire means bright. Um, which oh. is like such a perfect, I don't know if you knew that Claire, but it's such a perfect like encapsulation of who you are. And it was like all the stars were aligning. And then of course we had a boy, but there's still, there's still more room to come. Well, but I guess my question actually is, <laughs> do you, do you have moments where that, that life force turns off because it like has to, you have to recharge your batteries and what does that process of recharging look like for you? Um, cause I imagine that's like incredibly important also to heading into big performances as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I've actually learned a lot in the last six years since being coached by David and even just like knowing um, both of you and and good, good mentors outside of the sport in my life where, yeah, of course, like I hit empty. Like I'm not going to lie and pretend that I'm just like always stoked and positive and just like, yay, me, <laughs> yay, everyone. Like absolutely not. Um, it's, it's, I feel like in the last few years, I've gotten better at like saying no to things that I know I can't show up to as like my full self, um, or like full, like charged self, uh, especially with this like highly overstimulating modern world we live in. Mm. It's been a real challenge for me to know like what to put my energy in and what not to because there's for sure been situations where people are probably not like that impressed with me like wait where was a life force like she was kind of a i don't know like wasn't that nice or something like you know no one's perfect at all and yeah my mom's been really helpful in that my mom's a third grade teacher and she's uh like quite the performer as a teacher has to be right but then my mom recharges by reading like i don't know a couple books a week like we're talking a lot a lot that's of impressive. that's so impressive yeah. 
Yeah. And so, and so also witnessing that of like, oh, wow, you're getting so much energy from being silent and putting like words into your brain. And I realize I have that. Um, and I need that. Like if I'm not reading a book or two, I know that I'm like probably over overbooked. Like if I don't have time in the week and it's not like an everyday thing, but I definitely require a lot of silence. Like, oh my goodness, not to go off the rails, but I just read this amazing, amazing article about perceptive environments. So mm. we have our environments, right? And then there's the environments that we can perceive. So as humans, like it's what we see, what we smell, what we hear. And depending on the animal, it's different, right? Like bats have like really, really good hearing. Um, it's hearing, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not. We're, we're oceans I, people, Claire. I'm so yeah. not into what you're saying. I'm like, of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's this German term called Umwelt, U-M-W-E-L-T. And that's your perceptive environment. Okay. And so I've found myself to be like hyper, hyper sensitive just to like everything around me. And so most mornings I've tried, like in the last few years, I've tried to really just like be in silence, um, mm -hmm. drinking coffee, like in the summers, I'm outside staring at sunflowers and like maybe hear, hear the birds a little bit, hear the bees, like not look at my phone and that, like that's that's sort of how I recharge yeah that's so incredible we actually this makes me think we had this kind of it was this like life affirming life changing dinner with you which often tends to happen I feel <laughs> like when we have dinners together it's just this like really dynamic conversation where we're all just like clamoring to like listen and talk and eat all at the same time and it's like it's just a fun experience but we were at Boulderfa and we actually just drove by Boulderfa yesterday and every time we drive there I'm like I think of dinners with Claire and it makes yeah. me so happy but you gave us a copy and you shared us um, you shared we actually at that time didn't know about Thich Nhat Hanh. And you were kind of talking about how, you know, his words have been transformative in your journey. And around that same time, you went off social media. And I think it's really interesting to make that decision as a hypersensitive person, because I imagine as a hypersensitive person, when you're on social media, it's just like constant stimulus overload of being so aware of everything that's going on. And you made the really unconventional decision these days in the world of professional running to step off that track. And just tell us about that, because I think to me, that's something that's so incredible. And also shout out, Claire has a great blog. I have it bookmarked on my computer <laughs> right now. And anytime she has a new blog post up, I'm up and reading it. So what has it been like to, to go off social media and to switch over into the blog medium? Yeah, that it's it relates to what we're talking about in terms of recharging. It, that was an amazing dinner. I'll remember it forever. And Megan was, you were in such a, oh, such a tough spot with your heart diagnosis. And gosh, it's, it's crazy. It hasn't even been a year. And to think about all that you've been through, um, just as a side note, it's really, really impressive, Megan. Thank you. Um, well, actually, before you, we, um, the first day that we found out we were pregnant, we like, came right over to your house and had dinner. Yeah. And it feels like so long ago, but it was like you were the perfect person to share that journey with. So thank you for being there for the ups and yeah. downs. So for the listeners, we had a uh, pregnancy test that was the thinnest line you've ever seen. <laughs> like I'm pretty sure 
That wasn't even saying she was pregnant. That was just saying that Megan. You were mansplaining pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're not. Pregnant. Like, Dude, any line is a positive line. It was, and so we went over to Claire's house and David was like, still not convinced I was pregnant. And I was like, yo, I promise I'm pregnant. And it was so amazing to share well, that with Claire. Just how much that we love Claire that we're like, okay, we know one person that we need to tell immediately uh, because she's going to be the godmother of earth raging. Um, and that's really important. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd love to hear about the social media thing too, because like you stepped off of a um, conveyor belt of self-judgment that I think every one of us feels, even those of us that might, you know, have a good amount of mindfulness with the role of it in our lives. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think it's really instructive for everyone. Like what led you to that in your life, especially as a public figure in this like small community, but a community that cares a lot. Yeah, it, you know, it's a pretty, it's, a, well, first, it's obviously a personal decision, you know, like, I think people should do whatever they want, right? <laughs> like, this is, I'm just like speaking for myself. I just started to look inward a little bit of like, okay, how am I spending my time? Like, what is in my brain? Like, if I'm on a run, or if I'm chilling, and like, what's going through my brain, and I, I just found that, like, I just had like a kind of a lot of trash, like, mm. like just going through my brain of like stuff I didn't really care about. Uh, like, any, at example, all. like any example of trash? I mean, this is putting you on the spot, so you don't have to answer. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, like I, I haven't been, you know, I don't like scroll on Instagram anymore. It's been, I forget when I got off, like maybe it was November or something. Um, of yeah last year but I just it would it, I can't even tell you like that's what it is it's like whether it's just like just like stuff that I don't give a crap about like that's cool like and I'm not talking shade about any particular person or not even the running world or um the environmental world or anything like that but just like really low quality um information in my brain like uh and I just like wanted a different type of quality going through my brain. Like I'd rather be thinking about just like a, you know, an in-depth article or a book or something, or like actually good photos that are like blown up to a size that's appropriate and not just like, uh, <laughs> like contrived, you know, filtered box. Like, and I have bad taste in everything. Like, let's be clear. I am like no uh, connoisseur of, of really anything, but I just noticed that there was, had been a shift in the last like six years, essentially since I started having to be online a lot for work. Right. Mm -hmm. So my primary work since 2016 has been like professional ultra running. So, you know, it's, it's, doing the sponsor obligations it's being like quote relevant in the running world and and i just started to be like you know what i don't know if i can like hold hold this level of engagement mm. um and it's not it doesn't feel genuine to me anymore i think at some point it did like for sure um like speaking specifically just to like yeah, I don't know. I used to like post on like Facebook and Instagram like pretty regularly about things mm -hmm. I cared about. And then a part of me also felt kind of like, um, who am I to be like prescribing and telling people what to do? <laughs> you know, like I, I found that in the last year since I've really sort of like slowed down and tried to analyze like 
how I spend my time and like what my long-term goals are in life. Um, like it takes a lot of inward thinking. Right. And I think like a handful of really important relationships, like you two being two of them. Whereas if I'm just like spewing shit to people, like a bunch of people I don't even know, like mm -hmm. that's not helping them either. Right. So it's just sort of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a bit like spinning my wheels here. I'm probably not explaining this super well, but it is a nuanced decision. And ultimately I decided that I didn't want to make my living off of like professional ultra running and being like more of a like influencer um, for the rest of my life. And so that was like the big sort of like financial decision, yeah. right? Of like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to say goodbye to like any of those like future opportunities. Um, and, and yeah, like go start a career in something else. I think it makes so much sense because the way you're saying, you were saying you might be going around in circles, but I think that's how all of our brains feel. And so as you're describing it, it's the ultimate, you know, distillation of, like all of the conflicted emotions we feel. It's like, yeah, you do get to reach out to community, but at the same time, you're having a ton of shit in your brain. Um, and then a, a couple more comments. One being that, you know, as very close relationship partners for you, I think the way we consummate this is in a podcast. Like that's how it works. Um, and then the final yeah. one, I definitely think you're the person to be telling the world what to do. I said in my Strava title yesterday um, that I vote for Claire for the president of the universe. Um, so perhaps we need more of you posting on Instagram from my perspective. I uh, co-sign on that. I was actually, I wrote it down in my podcast notes, like very seriously, like planning to ask Claire when she was going to run for president of the United States, <laughs> because that, I mean, that's, that's how much we like just the, the honor that we think of you, Claire. But actually, I mean, this brings into an important, right around this time, you decided to pursue a PhD. And um, this is something that, you know, because you're on social media, it might not be as widely known. And it's super cool to pursue education. And I think, you know, Claire, we've talked a lot about the PhD process. So I have a few questions for you on this. And then we'll get into Leadville ahead, I promise. But one, did you go to class today? So this is, we're recording on a Monday. This is like 36 hours post Leadville. Like, how is your brain functioning? Like, this is your first week of a PhD, of the PhD program. How's it going? And then what was the path that made you decide to want to do the PhD program? Cool. Okay, thanks. Also, to clarify, just to, just to do justice to your previous questions, I think Strava is a useful app. I And I'm not paid to say that. I think <laughs> that is something different where it is real. It's a useful tool for me. And I've sort of used it in the same way that I think I've used other platforms in the past. And like, that's something I want to celebrate or I'm like, oh, yes, like I, it's it's useful to document like what I'm doing. It's it's easy for my coach to see. Um, I like seeing that other people are getting outside. So there's like a lot of positive things, right? I don't want to be like all self-righteous about like, meh, meh, meh. like I'm just over here drinking my coffee and like only reading like, you know, hardcover books. Like, no. <laughs> well, we also- You're I the think, last self-righteous person. Yeah, like, yeah. We have to object. I mean, the, like at least for me, I participate in social media really heavily, obviously, for a bunch of different reasons. And I often think about your influence on that. And it's because like, I know you're coming from a complex place. Like the reason I ask you about life force too, is you're like, oh, but look at David. And then I'm like, fuck Claire, I am tired sometimes. And like, I do have to make that conscious decision all the time. And so, you know, I think both Megan and I, the reason we wanted you to have our first podcast guest is like, 
we're inspired by your realness, right? Like that you're not bringing like a saccharine sweet version of yourself to any interaction. And, you know, I think that's one of the reasons people love you is like the version of you that Lindsay Herman sees at mile 52 of Leadville or something or 48 for her, but, um, is the same version that like someone's going to see at the grocery store. And that takes, you know, energy and courage. So, you know, I think that the PhD is very similar in that, you know, you're one of the best athletes in the world. Maybe, you know, we always talk like you're honestly in the running for goat, you know, greatest of all time. And you're just 30. Um, and actually but, I call her, she is the goat. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's the goat. Um, she's the llama. Um, <laughs> to be clear, I saw Courtney after Leadville and she said, she's going to hopefully run Leadville one year. So. <laughs> That's very well, kind. Also, Ann Trayson is the goat, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a goat, it's a goat herd. It's just a really supportive goat herd. Um, but you know, similarly, like the real you is now taking this leap into a PhD in a really prestigious one. And I think, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear about that because it's just, I, I mean, that's daunting in some ways and also really exciting. Like, how are you feeling right before it starts? And like, yeah, what brought cool. you to it? Thanks. Uh, yeah. So Megan, I, I have class later today. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are you going to go? Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah. And I've already spoken amazing. to my advisor. She's amazing. If anyone's interested in Antarctic science, her name's Cassandra Brooks. Uh, yeah. She helped get one of the, or uh, the largest, the cap, um, marine protected area in the world um established wow. it's called the ross sea marine protection area it's in the southern ocean which surrounds antarctica and it's oh man antarctica i mean i've never been i hope to go and, and that's what i'm studying for the next couple <laughs> of years um is one of the, the coolest places i mean just like watch some Nat Geo videos on like humpback whales down there or like Adelie penguins or, um, you know, the Weddell seals, like there's just so much biodiversity down there and so few humans. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's part of the point. No, no. <laughs> I'm not going to go into like some weird, like eco-fascist rant. I, I swear <laughs> that's not my goal. It's not who I am. But, like uh, Megan or Claire, just like I have been waiting 13 years to turn it around on Megan. This podcast has been a three year slow play in <laughs> eco-fascist. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, David, you've been so inspirational. And um, yeah, for listeners, basically to go back, I thought I wanted to go to law school to do like to do perform whatever the verb you want to choose environmental law. And David was hugely influential and in telling me not to. <laughs> and, um, you know, David has this storied career in environmental law. I mean, you've, you've touched like most parts of the world through your, yeah, your ingenuity and in, in law and trying to save places and help people. And it's just so cool to see that you made that decision of like, this wasn't filling your cup like in the day to day and to switch over to coaching. And it's like, man, that is so cool, David. And <laughs> it's been hugely inspiring to me because it's like, oh, if David, you know, is saying I shouldn't do environmental law, then maybe I shouldn't. And it's just, it's not to say that you shouldn't do environmental law, any listeners. It's like, we need them. We need you. But like, it, it wasn't necessarily a full-time match for you, right, David? I know you're still working in the Arctic, in Alaska, with um, a lot of tribes up there and, and people, but um, yeah, 
I mean, I'm going on a, a little bit of a tangent, but I mean, you, you should speak for yourself, like what it was. No, I mean, transition, you know, you know, I think like for me, at least it was just, um, an understanding that hopefully the change I can make in the world comes from a slightly different avenue. Um, and where that informs it and the things I hopefully get to learn, but you know, what I saw in you and in talking about this is you could become the, one of the best lawyers in the world. And the inertia of that system will not necessarily accommodate what makes you one of the most special humans in the world. So like what we're talking about here with life force is not necessarily something that the law is designed uh, to incorporate in someone's long-term trajectory and how they like influence the world. And what I love about science is you get to make of it whatever you want. Like this PhD is setting you up for like any path you take. Like we're, jo we're not joking when we say president. Um, and I think that that's perfect and the type of thing we need, but like, um, yeah, for our listeners, what are you studying? Um, how, how did it come about to, to get to this point? Yeah. Okay. So I eventually realized, yeah, maybe law school wasn't the right move. I mean, I, I took the LSAT a whole nine yards and it was through talking to people like you and actually only like exclusively people you connected me with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Catherine. And I guess I, I have um, some great mentors out of Patagonia as well. But um, of like, okay, what is it that I am interested in? It's like, I am really interested in like ecosystems and how ecosystems work. And um, like what keeps my like kind of heart pumping is like thinking of all the creatures in our vast underwater ocean world, right? Like the ocean seven or 70% of our planet. And it's so deep. Like it, there's just so much volume and space that's taken up on this planet by saltwater. And, and that, that whole world is so alien to me and so intriguing. You know, we have this like other world on this planet and I, when I'm in it, like when I'm free diving or just snorkeling or just like chilling, it, it fills me with this curiosity and this like a deep, deep emotional state of like, oh man, like we have aliens on our planet. You know, we have <laughs> sperm, these compact whales, we have these whales that are so, so smart. They're probably way smarter than us. You know, <laughs> there's this term um, that, that uh longline fisheries use called depredation and it's when orcas just eat all of the fish on the long line um fishing rods so this oh, is like damn. the things that i'm studying yeah because they're so smart they're like thanks fishermen like you just got caught five like kilometers worth of toothfish down in antarctica like on a fishing line right and then the whales just go boom 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 and they like <laughs> them all and it's like a big challenge for the fishing industry but i'm just like yeah whales like let's go it's like me at an um, aid station just bomb bomb i was bomb. just gonna make that joke right really yeah it's a feeding frenzy at an aid station exactly or a cracker barrel buffet right? bum, bum, bum. yeah and you know i think a fair follow-up would be like okay well that's like not good for the fishermen and i get that i'm not trying to like ruin anyone's livelihood but compared to like what we do to to orcas and um you know other large marine mammals uh it's nothing so i'm just like eat all the toothfish get them <laughs> go get them um but anyways yeah so it's like these worlds and then i haven't even like spoken about the tropics the coral coral like 
oh, tropical coral ecosystems, like a healthy coral reef is just like, oh, I could just stay there for the rest of my life. Like <laughs> it is just like fills me with such awe and, and splendor and like appreciation for being alive to be able to see these like complex, intricate worlds with like, we're talking thousands and thousands of different creatures, right? That are all living and communicating and, and, and being, um, you know, hopefully like in harmony in a lot of ways. And the, the, like, that's what I want to protect. Like, I, I just would love, you know, like a thousand years from now, uh, when baby boys, <laughs> you know, grandkids are, are chilling somewhere on this planet and they can go snorkel and see coral and know that grandma roach and grandpa roach and auntie weird claire <laughs> godparent claire um, yeah. like helped you know protect some of that splendor like that's that's ultimately yeah what my goal and i know that'll end up being like a lot of like boring reading and like sitting at a microscope and doing like somewhat not that exciting work but it's the big picture right and starting a phd program in um yeah at cu boulder with this advisor cassandra is 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 the way i think i'm gonna get there so that's so incredible. Well, it's actually sitting here hearing you talk. I love just like your passion and enthusiasm. I could listen to you talk about anything. And I actually admittedly don't know as much about as you guys do about, you know, the deep sea and coral reefs and all of that. But Claire, we went to this, we've been obsessed with the planetarium recently. We've been, we've maxed out. We've gone to every single show at the CU planetarium because <laughs> we just love learning about this stuff. But we went to this awful, awful show on the deep sea. And it was this like children's narrated show. So my big thing is I would love to have Claire narrate a deep sea show at the planetarium. How incredible would that be to have her stoke and her knowledge and her enthusiasm right there in person? Um, but one last question on the PhD before we dive into to Leadville is you are like, I say this time and time again, if I get asked on a podcast, who is my mentor, it's always Claire. Like you, I think it's just like your life force, your curiosity, your knowledge to me is so infectious. And that's like what I strive to be in life. I am curious how, I mean, I think you're such a mentor to me that it's almost wild that you're starting a PhD because I'm like, she's my mentor. How, what is it like to be starting, like to be going back to education at this stage in life? And how do you think that's going to change your perspective on class, on tests, on kind of just like the entire PhD process? Well, it always cracks me up, Megan. I was actually telling my dear friend, Anna Callahan, who was crewing me this weekend, like, I don't really get why Megan calls me her mentor. <laughs> got an MD and she's finishing her PhD and she's just like, you know, and I just, you know, you don't even have to say much. All the listeners know, like, sh shit, Megan, that is such a huge compliment. Um, <laughs> and it always cracks me up and it will for the rest of my life. <laughs> Um, I'm like this derelict friend that like shows up at your house, like oh, no. always, always bringing pizza, showing up at our house with like the best. Yeah, Claire, you want to hear something that's like actually like really fascinating? Germs. <laughs> something that's really fascinating. We've had to plan when we're gonna have dinner with you because Megan enjoys it so much that she can't sleep. <laughs> that's actually a true statement. David is like, as we start to wrap things up, he's like, just remember to breathe. Yeah, yeah. Like, take it all in and meditate and relax. Yeah. Because like, I just love our conversations with you that Yeah, much. at the end of pho, I just like go under the table and I give her a squeeze, which is the Megan, let's bring it down, squeeze. From 11 <laughs> down to three, that Claire oh, Life Force. 
Um, I just had a little brain fart because I was thinking of Boulder Fa, so excuse me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we call that a brain, orga- a brain orgasm, not a brain fart. A, a, when- food, a foodgasm. Yeah. I feel like Boulder yeah. Fa is the best. We need we need a Boulder Fa date for foodgasms. Yes. Do we go to Boulder Fa or do we go to Black Pepper, by the way? Oh, we go to Black Pepper? Oh, we go to Black Pepper. <laughs> That's true. Good point. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so I'm 30, right? I'm starting grad school quite a bit later than both of you did. And it's been something I've been self-conscious about. But that being said, it's it's pretty normal. Like, you know, some people start right after undergrad. Um, other people start even later, I think. Uh and I would not have given up my 20s for anything. Like the last six years of my life have been absolutely wild. Like I had no idea I would do like professional ultra running. Like that's so random. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's so random. And it's been this roller coaster of sort of like just like a cascade of decisions and opportunities, right. That I've just sort of run with. Um, and I've like been on, yeah, been in this like little, like car of a roller coaster, just, just like having a great time. And then it's been in the last few years where I've started to notice that like this to keep with the roller coaster analogy, like this path, this track I've been on this undulating up and down is maybe not exactly my decision anymore. It's not, uh, hasn't been, yeah, my choice, even though I am actively making all these choices. I'm like, I, I realized I needed a change and I, I wanted to start building a future and a career that was independent, especially of my physical health. Like it's a pretty intimidating thing to have like your career rely on your your body, right? It's, it's honestly really, really hard. Like as three people that have had so many years of just random injuries, I mean, Megan in particular, right? Like, God, and what that does to your mental health too. And just feeling like, okay, I could have all the desire in the world, every single thing in my camp, you know, the coach, the sponsors, the everything. But if, you know, if like your hamstring goes like, (laughs) What does that mean? You know? And so I've been inspired. Huh? That's an incredible point. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's quite scary. And I think I just am like, okay, I want to have like another career that is independent of that, of my body. And yeah, I'm like way interested in science and I've gotten pretty far away from it um, in the last few years. And I've been focusing on a lot of terrestrial conservation and, and like more like us political work, uh, which has been really informative, but uh, it doesn't like tickle my fancy the same way that, (laughs) that um, like international like oceans work does. So, and then seeing that, like, look, you can have, a, a life outside of running and look at both of you, like both of you are high level professional runners and you have these like very stimulating intellectual careers. And so I just realized like, I need to make that leap. And there was this moment actually last summer I was driving with my dad. He he's been hiking the Colorado trail in segments for the last couple of years um, over weekends in the summer. And I was crewing him one weekend, you know, doing like the shuttle drive and he was like, Claire, I notice um, just like a, a list, a listlessness about you. And it was 
honestly, it was like quite shocking. I was like, whoa, my dad doesn't like, he doesn't say anything he doesn't mean. (laughs) And, and I basically just was in tears and was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. You know, like I had already taken the LSAT and I was like, shit, I don't, I don't think I need to go to law school, but I'm like, I can't just be in the outdoors industry anymore and running because it, it wasn't like filling my cup. And, and I felt like I was leaving a lot of like energy and work that I could maybe be giving to the world on the table. And it was in that moment. I was like, dad, what should I do? <laughs> um, and he's like, you got to get a goal. <laughs> you got to make a goal, Claire. You got to make a goal and you got to work towards that goal. And it was like the simplest <laughs> advice ever. And then it was like in the preceding weeks, I was like, all right, I need to figure out, like, I think this PhD program is for me. Like, I'm going to apply to these grants. I'm going to I'm going to get back into science. I'm going to start reading science papers again. I'm going to like figure out my time management, you know, and it was sort of in this last year's last fall, you know, where I was like, all right, I'm going to take, you know, this, this pause on the, on the social media stuff. Like I kind of just needed this full like recycle of my system to kind of get back on whatever track that I felt was good for me. And I, I'm guessing that's going to happen like 50 more times in my life, right? Like it totally will. And that's fine. And you're such a pro. I mean, I feel like this should arm you with confidence that like we we watched you go through that and we were like actively taking notes because what you were learning during that time was actually really instructive for our own lives too. And so I feel like this should arm you up for confidence going forward that like when someone tells you about whether it's like making a goal or giving you that piece of advice, it's like, Claire, you're going to throw yourself into that wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I actually love the, uh, the roller coaster thing because I'm thinking about it as you're saying it. And I'm like, Megan is what you described your dad being for me, because like, I think we all find ourselves on a repeating track sometimes. And Megan just comes in and she's like, kink in the track, motherfucker. (laughs) Um, It's like baby time. And it's exactly what I need. And often I resist it, or at least I don't recognize it fully or what I'm feeling until she does that. So thank you. Someone, sometimes we just need someone to come in and just like explode everything. I tend to be the explosion person in our relationship. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, But actually, Claire, this makes me think, so you won Leadville in 2016. And this was again, like right around the time we actually, when we first met you and I raced against you, I said, Claire, you're going to win Leadville. It was like clearly obvious based off of all the different skills that you were building. What is it like? I mean, I, I feel like it's probably a transformative journey looking back and, you know, racing this in 2022 and thinking about like that roller coaster of life and, you know, where you've been and what was it like stepping up to the starting line after being there in 2016 and having like such an incredible race? Uh, yeah, it was pretty trippy. Uh, <laughs> and I asked Addie, because Addie and I, Addie Bracey, uh, dear friend, amazing human and athlete runner i mean she's she's so good uh during the race i'm like isn't this weird aren't you just thinking of every of the last time you ran it because she ran it a couple years ago uh when katie katie arnold won that year and eddie got second and because the whole time i was just thinking of 2016 i was and i actually unlike Addie, have not run the course really since the only time I've been on the course it's been it's actually been a handful of times but it's been pacing other people in the last few years so I paced my buddy Adler 
the last 25 miles last year. And then in 2019, I paced Ryan Smith. Uh, he won that year. It was terribly fast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very, very hard 25 miles for me um, with the muling. And so anyways, I, I don't have that many memories on the like particular sections, of course, except in the Leadville context, right? And so I was like, whoa, this is so cool. Like <laughs> creating a new layer in my memories of this. And since the weather was so different this year, it was totally gloomy. It was like every Pacific Northwest person must have just been like head over heels. <laughs> um, and I was just like so desperate for the sun. And when she finally came out, it's like, yes, get on me. It was only for like 20 minutes, but, um, uh, and, and in 2016, it was, it was quite hot. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. Like, uh, I, hundreds are weird, right? They're hard. They're long. They're, they're exciting. They're boring. They're, they're like everything in between. And Saturday was no exception at all. Uh, I, I did, Asked myself a lot though. I was like, I don't know how I ran so fucking fast in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> like how little I knew about the sport and like how little ultra experience I had. It was like, damn girl, wow. Like if anything, I just was I was proud of my 24 year old self on Saturday. You know, I didn't run that much slower this year. I was like 38 minutes slower. The uh, fifth, fastest time, fifth fastest time ever this year uh, yeah. without being, without like anything pushing you in the second half, which is remarkable. But did you feel, you know, pressure coming into this year? Um, you know, you've been in the public eye in this, this community for a while now, um, but stepping back to the race that you went from maybe 10 people knowing your name that, you know, within, that weren't within your immediate community in Colorado in 2016, to being a worldwide name within the sport, um, you know, coming back here, that is stepping up into pressure. And I thought about that before the race, but I was like, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this with Claire before. Like, did you feel that? To be honest, I, I didn't feel much pressure. The only pressure I felt in the last few years, thanks to the sort of like lack of pressure system I built for myself <laughs> is, is, is mostly internal and mostly like not wanting to disappoint people who are like having a really fun time tracking like my mom or my um, about to be 92 year old grandfather pops huh. uh, and people who just like get a lot of joy out of following uh, like me racing. And so it's, it's, it's a very personal pressure uh, I feel super lucky, like my main sponsor and um, somewhat like employer, well, of the past, Patagonia, and I'll stay with Patagonia even, you know, for, through school, hopefully, you know, forever, but it doesn't put pressure on their ambassadors to race. Uh, I think it's other brands should take note, like I'm not racing for, you know, to pay like I'm not racing for bonuses, you know, and and there might not be any like problem with that with other brands, but for me, it's it's been really instructive of like I am doing this because I love it. Like I'm I'm not doing this because anyone's telling me to do. I don't have an athlete manager being like, "What's your next race?" You know, um, and and that system I built for myself, like it's basically you know 
me being like, yo, David, are you cool with this racing schedule? Like, what do you think? And then it'll be like, you'll, you know, you'll just be like, okay, <laughs> build it in. And I know I've made some questionable decisions on my race schedules in the past, but like, it's really empowering that it's my decision. And I think as ultra and trail runners, it has to be our decision. Like these things are so freaking hard. Like if anyone else is making these decisions for you, you should probably re-examine like, and I think I had to do that in the last few years of like, who, like, why am I choosing to do this particular race? Am I going to have enough energy to, you know, go for it? Is it going to be inspiring and fun? Uh, and it took six years to get back to Leadville. Cause basically I was like, man, I mean, it's an out and back course. Like there's a lot of monotony in that course. You know, people say it's a mountain hundred. It's, it is a mountain hundred because it's at elevation, but there's like miles of dirt road. (laughs) And so I had to be like, am I ready for that? And it actually was like one of my favorite parts of, of the race on Saturday was, were those like clickable miles, you know? I'm getting goosebumps just like listening to to you describe your experience and how it played out out there. I think one question I have as well about the pressure is that going into the race, it was really clear for months that you and Addie Bracey were both the favorites on the women's front. And you've had this long, amazing relationship, friendship with Addie Bracey, training together, you know, having been in races together. What was it like heading into a race where you know, you're your primary competition is one of your really good friends. And what was it like sharing miles in the beginning of the race? And then, you know, not just a friend, but someone that you know and respect as like, if she wasn't a friend, you'd just be like, dude, she is fast. Damn. She's good. And she's ready. Yeah. Like, yeah. How did you, how does that competitive aspect work for you? Totally. I don't think it can be understated of how much fun this summer has been knowing Addie and I were going to race. So we've been chatting all summer. Um, and we, we were hanging out a couple weeks ago. She let me crash at her place, um, up there in, in Twin Lakes. And, you know, we basically just laid it out to each other. I was like, Addie, how do you feel? What are your goals? And, you know, this is after like two hours of talking about relationships and blah, blah, blah. And like (laughs) at, at, at the, at our core, like Addie and I are, are dear friends. We, were kind of each other's like main running partners during COVID. So we built this incredible friendship that's like really beyond the sport. And it's just one of those things that I just feel so grateful for this sport. It's like, I have made such amazing friends through this, you know, that will last long after we're all done racing and, you know, like pooping our pants at mile, whatever (laughs) I did. (laughs) We're we'll, we'll um, we'll pooping our pants at the uh, retirement home that we're all going to move into here in Boulder yeah. at some point. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Addie and I have just been each other's like biggest cheerleaders all summer because it's there's no doubt like we were going to race. We did. We raced our butts off. Like I've been scared shitless of racing Addie all summer. She is so strong. She's beaten me. I think we're at like a one-to-one ratio of races. Like we've gone head-to-head a lot. And we're talking every distance, 50K, 100K, 100 milers. And it's so fun because I know that that girl's going to show up and work her butt off to beat me. <laughs> and like that type of raw competition is is Oh, it's so fun. It's like <laughs> what I love about like racing, right? 
you know, otherwise we would just all like go do fun runs all the time, but like racing is just raw. So yeah, Addie also runs like a fuck ton more than I do. Like, mm-hmm. like she, she trains, um, just like a lot higher volume. So there's been like a lot of, um, like questions in my head of like, am I doing enough? Am I going to be able to like, hold on? And, um, it just goes to show that this sport is, yeah, it's incredible. Like you can win Leadville or UTMB on like totally different training plans. And it, I think speaks volumes about your coaching, David, you know, and having confidence in our particular plan. Um, so being like a little bit more low volume. So anyways, we had amazing miles together. We were running with Ian Sharman at, at some point when he wasn't doing too hot. I'm like, Ian, you good? Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he unfortunately had to drop, but that was really fun to run with him and Addie. And, and then Addie was like, she was chuck chugging along and I had a really, really, really low point. Like, I don't know, mile 30. And I was like, so focused on being able to run when I picked up my pacer, Clint Anders, who David, uh, found for me. (laughs) I was just so like, I really, David think there's a lot of psychology involved in, in this whole pacing thing, because I was thinking about how I wanted to have to, I I had to be able to run with Clint. I was like, I'm going to feel so bad if I'm walking with Clint for 25 miles. Like that's going to (laughs) be embarrassing and I think there is something to be said about picking a pacer who you aren't like best friends with and you have like a slight level of embarrassment if you were to like you know be like real lame (laughs) and and so I like really owe that to you David um you nailed it you totally nailed it Uh, because I basically was thinking about mile 70 the whole race I was like I just have to be able to run then Addie and I were texting this morning. I mean, we've been talking since the end of the race and yeah, I mean, I don't, she can, she can share her later goals for herself and she's already, I think just working on like what she needs to do next time and to not get symptoms. Um, she struggled with rhabdomyolysis at Black Canyon in February and, and she had some symptoms that were along those lines, uh, on Saturday. So it's like, you know, she's got to like figure that out. Like that's serious, you know? Um, but I think she will. And I wouldn't be surprised if she comes back and like kicks my ass and beats, beats both my time. So <laughs> well, first of all, Claire, I'm just so in awe of your competitive mindset. I mean, what you're saying, the words that you're saying are just so true to your aura that competition for you is like, you view it as fun. You view it as this like incredible place to challenge yourself and grow and learn more. And I'm constantly taking notes as a coach as an, an, an athlete as to what you're doing to foster that competitive mindset, because I think it's truly next level. But I'm so glad you went into the pacing situation because David was supposed to pace uh, 40 miles yeah. of this race. And I, unfortunately, I couldn't travel to altitude being pregnant, being a little bit of a high risk pregnancy. And so David was, David was very torn. He decided to stay at home. And I was so sad because <laughs> I wanted this pacing situation so badly. I knew that it was going to be like a really fun dynamic between the two of you out there. And I couldn't wait to cheer it on, but I'm glad that Clint went well. Actually, one question that we've gotten from a lot of our listeners is, I think it makes a ton of sense what you're saying about having someone who you're not as familiar with, because it's you kind of have to hold yourself together out there when you're being paced by someone that you're not as familiar with. 
you also close the race with your boyfriend, Will, and he's incredible. We were texting with him all day. What's it like on the flip side to be paced by someone that you love? And how do you approach that in terms of your competitive mental mindset and, you know, staying present with that? Well, as I said, in multiple aid stations, I also love Quinn Anders. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but yeah, I, I, well, and, and that being said, um, I totally think there is a big difference and having your significant other pace you is a really, really different dynamic. I was talking to Ryan Van Duzer and Amelia Boone about this, right? Because Amelia's like, oh yeah, Ryan was like a total baby to me. Uh, <laughs> and and so you can't, I don't think for me, like I couldn't have, yeah, Will, uh, my partner for for those like really, really clutch miles. Like I, I why you think I would know the mileage of this race by now, but whatever, Twin Lakes to, to May Queen. Um, 63 to yeah, thank you. Is like the just like the, I think the meat of the race. Like that's where the race happens. And you just can't allow yourself to I think crack open. It's like you got to keep this outward hard shell of like this is this is serious. This is hard. I came here for a reason. I came here with goals. Like as David has said to me before before Black Canyon this year, he's like, "Claire, it's okay to tell yourself this matters because this does matter." And I think giving yourself that grace to be like, look, this is what I came here to do. Like I came here to freaking race and to run. And I could be a baby because that's like the easy way out. And I was at certain times, like we all are, but it's also like, shit, if I could just hold on for six hours with Clint, like, <laughs> yes, like I'm going to get this thing done, you know? And, and that's what I tried to do. And having someone as phenomenal as Clint, I'm like, holy shit, this guy is the nicest guy. He was distracting me with the most wholesome, positive stories. I can't even tell you. (laughs) This guy, like, he really is, oh, he is, like, just one of the most phenomenal, positive, like, delightful people. And I just felt so lucky to have him and, and to have no judgment. Like, so I threw up, I don't even think I've told you this, David or Megan. No. I, um threw up everything uh, right after half pipe. So like mile, I don't know, 75 or something, 74, Mm. everything in my stomach. And I couldn't eat anything after that, except like some mashed potatoes and liquid calories. And I know, like I'm doing the math. I'm like, I need to be able to put in calories to finish this race. Like if I want to win and Clint, you know, just watched me empties my stomach. And he was like, okay, rinse, rinse and spit. (laughs) <laughs> hands me hands me a water bottle doesn't really address doesn't like make it a big deal he goes here you go rinse and spit and it's just like man you are so good Clint like, it reminds like, me a little bit of so good. you know like bend and snap um, <laughs> rinse and spit. <laughs> no that's I mean it's remarkable like um you know I think looking we were obviously tracking and had 8 million spotters on the course. And it's interesting to hear, I didn't know about the, um, the stomach issues that you had there, but uh, I did hear a little bit from Clint where he was just like, yeah, you know, it was really fun to be there while she was working through some adversity, (laughs) um, which is his way of saying that. Um, but you know, at that point you were on track for 18 something with how you were progressing against the splits Mm -hmm. and the fact that you held it together for the fifth fastest time ever after that experience 
shows like what makes ultra running so amazing, I think, because like, you know, the perfect day is never going to happen, but sometimes it means that you're emptying your stomach contents at mile 75 and have like so far to go and you know, people are coming. And when that mental like shit storm starts, which it must at that point where part of your brain is like, is this a catastrophe? that's in progress. Is this my DNF starting now? And you don't know you're dealing with that uncertainty. Like how does the uncertainty of it work in your brain in the moment? Um, because you're known as like, you know, an absolute fucking killer at the end of races, but you're facing the same uncertainty everyone else is. So how do you deal with that? Yeah. I, I tried to focus on what I knew I needed to get the race done. and the biggest lesson I had actually in my toolbox was walking in 20, what was it? What was last year? 2021 Western States. So I walked in the last 20 miles and it sucked. It was, it was one of the hardest physical things I've ever done. I I think probably to this day, it still is like the hardest race I've ever had walking in the end of a hundred, especially when I was like on track to, you know, get top 10 and, you know, do well, um, was so hard and and it felt legitimately painful in my legs. And I have this like visceral memory of how bad that felt. And I just, so, you know, gearing up for Leadville and in that moment when I was vomiting, um, (laughs) on the side of the road with Clint right there, I just was thinking about my legs. I was like, as Mm. long as I still have my legs, I'm going to be fine. And I was thinking about one of my other mentors in the sport, Ryan Smith, who has told me multiple times, he's like, you can get through the last 20 miles of a hundred with a bad stomach. Like, it's not going to be pretty. You're probably not going to set a course record, but like you can do it if you can run. And so I don't, and I don't know what it is. Like, I'm not a scientist. You guys can probably figure this out in your careers of like how it is that legs continue to be able to work in the late stage of an ultra. But as long as I kept my legs moving, especially on the flats and the downs, like that's what allowed me to finish. Um, I also, <laughs> I, a lot of people struggle with like gas at altitude, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, getting burps out or farts out. And, and I realized I had to stop running to fart. Like I had to, I had to stop and like get the fart out. And that was a really good lesson that <laughs> I kind of iterated on. And I remember that um, Ellie Fox had told me that from uh, like years ago at High Lonesome. She was like, yeah, once I like figured out how to fart, like I was able to keep running. And so I was just like, kind of just like going through everything in my brain I could think of, of like how to keep running. And that was like the big lesson for the last 20 miles was like getting the gas out. That's so incredible. That is so incredible. It's like, like the reverse manatee. You know, manatees use their farts as propulsion. You're like <laughs> the opposite. You use it and you stop. <laughs> we, that needs to be a Toronto Magazine article about the science of farting because, I mean, I'm serious. I feel like that could yes. actually save a lot of ultra running races. But you, I'm so glad that you brought in Western states because to me, this is really, Western states has shaped you in so many different ways, Claire. I mean, you've won Western states. You've been a Western states legend. You've also struggled at Western states too. And I think that's been, you know, you, you've had, you know, 2021 was a year that you finished and that was incredible and not easy for you as you were just alluding to. But this year you got a golden ticket to Western States and you decided not to take it. And, you know, obviously you wouldn't have been able to race Leadville most likely had you raced Western States. What was that decision like for you? And did you think about that heading into Leadville? 
Yeah, a little bit. I think the decision has like been uh, in the past long enough where I'm like, yeah, that's, you know, I wasn't thinking too much about like pining over not being at States this year once I got into Leadville because it's like, I'm just focused on like the task at hand and the place, like place is really important to me in life and in ultra running and my heart at the beginning of the year was like, I want to stay in Colorado to race, um, to do the big races. Like this is my home. It's where I'm from. It's nice to be able to have family to come up. So that's just kind of what I was like feeling at the beginning of the year. And I chose black Canyon. We, uh, <laughs> like, cause I wanted a really hard hundred K in the winter. And, and I think black Canyon is a standalone of amazing hundred K, you know, and yeah, it happened to be a golden ticket race, but I think just sticking with my plan of like, uh, like I don't just have to do States because I qualified. Um, it's been really, really empowering. Uh, do I want to go back? Absolutely. Uh, one thing that is a is a clear distinction between states and Leadville is is the competitiveness at the top end. Um, and I felt that at Leadville. I was like, man, if this like had the depth that states has, and, and that is nothing to say, like it was an incredibly like competitive um race. Allie and Lindsay like ran amazing races, really impressive podium in the women's field, obviously Addie Bracey. Um but yeah, at States, you just have like 30 women who could presumably win. And you just don't have that at Leadville because of the, um, yeah, just how, like the entries and the systems and everything. And it's something I, I it would be cool if like Lifetime changed that and like tried to get Led, Leadville like the same level of competitiveness as States or UTMB races. Um, but it might never change. I mean, Level's been there forever and they're doing just fine. Like people love it. You know, there's thousands of people there every weekend and and that's okay. And like, I don't care strongly either way, but it was something I did think about. And I tried to really keep myself honest in those final 25 miles. I was like, I got to break 20. I was like, I need to have like a strong showing at, at this, even though once I had found out like Addie had dropped, um, I was bummed. I was like, damn. Cause I, cause I really do run faster when I have people pushing me, um, around yeah. me. So, so I just tried to like, keep it really honest and, and have a time I was proud of. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm soaked on the whole. <laughs> what I was thinking about during it was you at Western States in 2019, when, uh, Brittany Peterson caught up to you with like six miles to go. And you proceeded to run the fastest time ever in that section. I, we were talking about the splits around Western States this year. And not only did you run the fastest time ever, you realize no men. You're at the top of the men's list too on that on that section with Jim Walmsley uh, on his record year. <laughs> um, and it made me think of it this year. I'm like, okay, it's actually a good thing that Claire doesn't have to do that because we're probably not going to have to deal with like the post-race uh, malaise that comes from doing that deep. <laughs> Um, so to end the podcast, like, I, I just want to quickly zoom out and say, okay, for in the last six years, you've won Leadville twice, Western States, CCC, Black Canyon, way too cool. Second fastest time at North face 50, tons of other races, FKTs, everything else. You've had like amazing consistency and, um, there've definitely been ups and downs, especially when we're zoomed in real close. And like, we are at day, <laughs> you and I are at day 2068 of the training log. So obviously low points, but like, is there any advice for a long-term trajectory that you have 
you know, because you've had to reshape, you've had to step off the roller coasters. You've had to do all these different things. Um, but like when it comes to long-term trajectory, you've shown like a steadiness that is super rare in ultra running and super hard. Like, is there any advice you have on that? Mm. I think one of the best decisions I've made in the last six years was choosing to be asking you to coach me. Um, and that's, I know it can't work for everyone because you can't coach everyone and neither can Megan. But my advice is to find a coach who's a mentor. I don't think I would have had this past six years. I know for a fact, I just wouldn't have. And I'm not trying to make this like sappy and to tie this up with a bow, but like truly David, um, having the consistency of someone who's telling you what to do roughly <laughs> in the day to day and to take that mental strain of like, I don't, I don't have the capacity to read about ultra running and to know the science, you know, that is your two's wheels house. Like, like your brain thinking about how to train, blah, 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 like doing these workouts. It's like, I don't, I don't understand this. I just like actually don't. And putting my trust into someone who does and developing a rapport with that has, I think, allowed for this consistency, you know, and there are so many coaches out there who, who do that as well. And, and if people want to have, you know, like five, 10 years, I think of, of just health, of good mental health, of good physical health, and to and to keep that running stoke, having someone in your corner, like a badass smart coach who's like an amazing friend, is is I think the best thing you can do because doing it alone is is kind of lonely. Like you know, I was coaching myself when I like quote ran Leadville in 2016, and and I remember being like kind of hesitant, David. I was like, I don't know. I'm kind of like doing this my own thing post college because college had really burned me out yeah. running wise. And and then sort of letting you in a way like take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> like, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, <laughs> I, the way I like to think of it, Claire, you are driving for sure. <laughs> I'm there with a Google Maps just being like, you know, maybe a left turn. Just yeah. maybe, you know. We can still get there if we go straight. Like, but that's what it is. It's like the, the camaraderie around that and being able to share and having two brains in, in the car, like is, is I think like, is the key to consistency. I mean, that like, that's literally my advice is like, if people are worried or like feel some type of boredom or like monotony or like personal inadequacies and insecurities, it's like, find that coach that fits. And, and I, you know, give it six months, give it a year and, and see what happens. That's an incredible answer. And Claire, I wish we could like sit here and talk to you for three hours. This is like, older. this is like, so like when David is like, okay, we need to start toning it down so we can get, so Claire can take a nap. Um, but I just, I mean, I feel like you're an intoxicating person and I wish we could sit here chatting for you with you for hours, but in light of, I want to make sure you can nap before you have class this afternoon, which is really epic post 100 mile race. I think just as for me, this is like something, this is like a satisfaction bomb question is you are, I mean, your resume as an ultra runner is mind boggling. Your resume as, you know, a person, a human, as a good person is also mind boggling as well. Is there something to you that stands out as like your fondest memory in, in ultra running and, and why? Mm. It's, it's all the process, man. It's, it's totally the whole process. It's the day in, the day out, like 
getting up when I feel amazing and getting out for a run versus like the days where I'm like, shit, I got to go run eight miles. Like what? Like it's totally the process for me. Of course, there are distinct memories with great runs, great races, great friends, but like the consistency that that this activity gives us and gives me and the stability and and that includes the times of severe injury you know like and i'm i'd almost be curious what your answer is to that megan like you've dealt with months on end probably totaling years plural of not being able to run like why are you still here you know, for sure. Like, yeah, for sure. Years. I actually did. I was like doing the math the other day in bed and I was like, oh, I should probably stop doing that math. But it's kind of nice to think about. I'm like, oh, maybe I'll add some longevity onto my career. No, I think for me, I totally agree with you. I think it's those like those daily runs that are just like random and I'll be out there in our backyard trails, just finding myself in flow state for no particular reason. And you know, I've, I've fully reckoned with the fact there's been times when I question whether I'll be back to racing or be back at the same level. And for me, it's like, it's, it's, I don't even care. It's like, I just want that flow state again, speaking from someone who's at like a low point in training. And I, I cannot agree with you more. And also too, I just want to be able, our runs with Claire, I love running and training with you. And I'm really excited to be able to do that again in the future. So I'm pumped about that. So final question. Uh, what, where's this roller coaster going? Like, what do you foresee the future holding for you, for, for Clara Gallagher? Um, this us seeing the last six years, uh, gives me chills to think about. And, um, you know, there's big life changes happening. Like, where are you going from here? To be honest, your guess is as good as mine. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a perfect answer. It's president. Uh, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> I, that's yeah, our guest. <laughs> yeah. Politicians yeah, are great public servants, the good ones at least. Yeah, I don't know well, if I have that in me. <laughs> you, said, you said I get to decide what you do. I get to decide which directions it is. So I get to point directly to president while uh, hiding it in the context of eight miles and strides on a Tuesday. So. Claire, we love you so much. Thank you for being our very first guest on the Summer Call Play podcast. Thank um, you so much. This has been the greatest honor of my life. I honestly think this is like my peak. I've officially peaked. And so, well, the roller coaster is just, just getting some inertia for the rest of the ride. We can't wait to cheer it on. We can't wait to be having Boulder or Black Pepper Fall with you in 70 years. And thank you for everything. Seriously, you made thank our entire you, week. Megan. You made our month with this interview, our year. Thank you just for being such a life force. And this means, David, we get to have a hopefully have a girl in the future. I'm trying to convince yeah. David of more kids just so oh, we can name her Claire. If you promise we'll name her Claire, friends. no matter what, I'll do it. For sure. And we're going to teach okay. her to fart like Claire, too. Awesome. <laughs> Claire, will you say huzzah to end the podcast? Huzzah! Huzzah!